Christchurch, New Malden, 8th of December 2019, 6.30 service. Katie Loffman speaking in the series, What They Said About the Coming of Jesus, Elizabeth. Hi everybody. Uh, well, this week we're looking at what that familiar passage is, that what it means, what it tells us about Jesus. So we have heard quite often about Mary visiting Elizabeth and the things that Elizabeth says to Mary, but what do they really, let's unpack that and see what it tells us about Jesus. Luke begins his account of Jesus' life with John the Baptist's parents. Why does he do that? What is it that he's trying to make us think when he starts his book about Jesus in that way? What do Zachariah and Elizabeth have to tell us about Jesus? Well, they were an older couple, the Bible tells us, and they were childless. And uh, Zachariah, he's the dad, he had, was a priest at the temple. And he was in the temple doing his duty which is a special ceremony once a year, and it was his turn to do it that year. As he was in the temple praying and doing the, the offering, an angel appeared and told him that he and his wife were going to have a baby. And this was a bit surprising because they were quite old. And uh, they'd been praying for a baby for a very long time, so the angel said to them, said to Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. So there's a picture of Elizabeth and Zachariah with their baby boy. So Elizabeth received the prophecy that she was going to have a baby via her husband, who was a priest. And he heard it from an angel who was in the temple. So, uh, this, so, the, so it wasn't Elizabeth that was told directly. She heard it from a priest who heard it in the temple. And this is a bit like Abraham and Sarah, who were an older couple who miraculously had a child in their old age. And um, they heard it from an angel as well. But actually, there are more parallels with, with um, Hannah, I think, because Hannah and her husband were childless as well. And in their situation, Hannah was also... Hannah was married to Elkanah. They went up to Jerusalem to make a sacrifice, an annual sacrifice, and Hannah was praying for a baby, as she had been doing for many years. And while she was doing that, the priest at the temple, who was called Eli, he noticed her praying, and he spoke to her, and when she told him what she was praying about, he said that, uh, that they would have a baby as well. So the, these three children, born to old people, well, I don't know how old they were by our standards, but certainly old enough to be not expecting to be able to have a child at, at all now. And then they did have a baby in a miraculous way. And they were told this by an angel or by a priest in the temple. So John is going to be another sort of child of the promise in that respect, in the old, sort of grand Old Testament tradition, like these other three people. Prophecy to the husband, mediated by a priest in a temple. John the Baptist's dad was a priest, which was, with the coming of Jesus, going to become an obsolescent profession. Uh, John was described in the prophecy that 
when, when the angel was talking to Zechariah about John the Baptist, what he was going to be like, he was talking about his ministry that was prophesied. And the way that the angel described what John would be like was really similar to an Old Testament prophet. His ministry was likened by the angel to that of Elijah. So he was going to be one who would call people back to God asking God's people yet again in the Old Testament tradition to turn back to God. So far, so Old Testament. Contrast that with the Annunciation to Mary. Mary was also childless, but not because she was old. She was very young, in fact. An angel comes to her direct, not through, a, not through her husband, not through a priest, um, She's spoken to directly by the angel. She is at home. She's not in a temple. She's not anywhere special. We're not told that she's doing anything in particular. She's not praying, as far as we know. Uh, and it says, the, um, it, the, the Bible says, God sent Gabriel. This is verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. God sent Gabriel to a virgin. No priest, no temple, no man. And to contrast that with what it says about the angel that appeared to Zechariah, it just says an angel appeared to Zechariah. It doesn't say God sent the angel, although, of course, we know that he did. And then the prophecy that, that Mary is given by that angel is that her baby will be the Messiah. So not an Old Testament prophet, but a Messiah. And this means the coming of a new era that the Messiah will bring in a new age, a new kingdom, will be everything different. God is doing something new. And in this case, the media is the message as well, because the message came in a very New Testament way. It was not mediated by a temple or a priest. God was having direct contact, well, through his angel, with Mary, and he was saying to Mary that he was going to come and dwell with his people. God would be dwelling with his people, talking directly to them. In other words, his kingdom is coming. So Mary goes off to visit Elizabeth. They're both pregnant. And, uh, and then look what happens when Mary walks in the door. Elizabeth starts praising God. She says, when Elizabeth says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is, relates to the prophecy that was given about the baby John when Zechariah was told he was going to be born. Uh, verse 15 says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. This is new. This is not like anything that happened in the Old Testament. And then when the Son of God in Mary's womb comes into the house, John is moved by the Holy Spirit to respond. And his mum, Elizabeth, is filled with the Holy Spirit at that moment. And this reminds me of a passage in Joel, where it said, Joel chapter 2, verse 28, which says, When God's kingdom comes... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And that's not something that happened as a rule in the Old Testament, but suddenly it's happening now. 
It's new. This is part of the new era, coming in with Mary's child, the Messiah. And John's reaction in the womb tells us that a new era is beginning. God is doing a new thing, pouring out his Holy Spirit, which is a symptom of his kingdom. God is not only dwelling among his people as he did in the Old Testament when they were in the desert, for example. God is not only not just dwelling amongst them, but he's living in them, right inside, as close as your breath. That's how the Holy Spirit is within them. And Elizabeth's response to that is, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. It's interesting that this, this blessing that she gives, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear, is something that's become a very famous phrase associated with Mary, which is used, I think, quite a lot by the Roman Catholics. Um, it's interesting that only one other person in the whole Bible is called blessed among women. And that is Jael, who's the woman tent-peg lady in our first reading. As, <laughs> as you heard, she was... Um, she was uh, she, yeah, the, the, the Israelites had been under the oppression of this, uh, the Canaanite king and he'd been oppressing them for 20 years and then there was this battle but amazingly God routed the army so that because the Israelite army was incredibly outnumbered and they couldn't have fought him on their own and everybody was killed and Sisera the, was this uh, really serious senior general who was commanding the armies, leading them against Israelites, and he was trying to escape. And uh, he ran for shelter into this woman's tent, and that was the end of him. And this is celebrated in the next chapter in the Song of Deborah, which Deborah was the prophet at the time, and she wrote this incredible song, which is like a psalm, in the book of Judges, chapter 5. And it's actually one of the oldest pieces of literature in the Bible. And this is what she says about Jael. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, most blessed of tent-dwelling women. He asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet he sank. He fell, there he lay, at her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. There we go. So what's the connection between Mary and Jael? Elizabeth's words, blessed are you among women, deliberately evoke that story of Jael. The why, why does Luke want us to think? Why does he make that connection? What's he trying to tell us? Well, as I said, Sisera's people have been oppressing God's people for 20 years and then Jael killed him. So Jael was enacting God's judgment on his enemies. You oppose God, you, the judgment is on you, there's going to be punishment and destruction. In other words, the wages of sin. Immediate judgment. Again, very Old Testament. But compare that with Mary. She's bringing the Messiah into the world. And the Magnificat 
that she sings straight after says that that Messiah will represent salvation, mercy and justice. And this is new. This is a real change. And the rest of the Luke's, Luke's Gospel shows how that plays out in Jesus' ministry. How that salvation, that mercy and that justice is a feature of the whole of Jesus' life. Every encounter that he had, every teaching that he gives. And, um, how, and Jesus describes it as the new wine of the new covenant. And there's a link here to Eve as well. Uh, this is the Annunciation of Gabriel telling Mary that she's going to have a baby. And you see the apple in the top left-hand corner. God said that Eve's descendant would crush the serpent's head. The serpent who had made himself the enemy of humanity when he gave Eve the apple. And then in the Song of Deborah, it says that she, that Sisera, it says, her right hand reached for the tent peg. Her, her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head. So Jael literally crushed the head of God's enemy, Sisera, and she saved them from oppression for a few years. Thousands of years later, Jesus totally crushes the serpent's head when he defeated evil forever on the cross. So th through Jael and through Mary, evil was destroyed and God's people were saved. But now, though, God is doing a new thing through Mary. He's doing so much more than just crushing the general of a local army. Evil has been defeated forever and the effects of the fall have been reversed. Forgiveness, mercy and salvation are available for everybody, not just for the Israelites. And John's ministry, according to the prophecy that Zechariah received from the angel in the temple, God, John's ministry will be to call people back to God, to call people to repentance, so that we can be part of it. If, when, John calls, when John calls God's people back to God, when people turn to God in repentance, then they can be part of that new thing that God is doing. They can be part of the new covenant. They can receive that salvation, that justice, that mercy. And the same is true for us, isn't it? When we rethink what we're doing and we turn back to God. So Elizabeth tells us that, what, what, what does Elizabeth tell us about Jesus? She tells us that Jesus is doing a new thing, that God is using Jesus to do a new thing. And all of these things that Jesus is doing, these are features of the new covenant. And the seeds of it are right here before Jesus is even born. The direct relationship with God, represented by Mary's approach by God. The gift of the Holy Spirit, represented by Elizabeth being filled with the Holy Spirit when, as soon as Mary walked into the room. And the power of evil, evil being destroyed, which is represented by her words to Mary. Blessed are you among women. So those three things are, are features of the new covenant and they are the new thing that God is doing. 
And we live now in that era, don't we? To us, we take those for granted. To us, they don't seem to be new. We get the benefits as soon as we become Christians. We get those benefits every day. That's how we live. We know that that, that's true in our lives. And so how do we live that out in our life? How do we... How how can this be a new thing for us when it's something that happened 2,000 years ago? Something that maybe some of us have even grown up with. Well, this direct relationship with God, we know that we don't need a priest to talk to God, do we? That is what the Bible means when it says that we're all priests. We can all go direct to God. We don't even have to be in church to talk to God. Did you know that? You can talk to God at home as well. (laughs) We can talk to God anywhere, of course we can. Jesus destroys evil. He brings forgiveness and salvation. And that comes directly to us from God as well. And it starts with our repentance. We can accept his forgiveness and we can be reconciled. And that gives us a new start and we can be redeemed, and we can be made new again, and again, and again. Because it's not just a once-off thing, is it? We're constantly needing to be forgiven, and reconciled, and renewed. So we need to let God do a new thing in our lives every day, right now. And when when we know that we're forgiven by God, the fantastic thing is that we can then forgive ourselves. So there's no need for regrets. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who was very miserable because she had a lot of regrets around the time when her brother died and she wished that she'd done things differently. And, and talking to her, we realised that if she can understand that those... If she can be forgiven by God for those things that she didn't do, <clears throat> then that will enable her give her permission to forgive herself and she can stop regretting. And I think it's fantastic how Christianity offers us this forgiveness which can enable us to be freed from the past in that way. And this direct relationship, this reconciliation that we have with God, this means that we become one with God. So much so that God becomes part of us through the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. And this is an incredible privilege, isn't it? To receive the Holy Spirit. To, we can invite him to, into us. We can have him living with us all the time. We can draw on his strength. We can pray through him. We can be led by him and inspired, listen to him and be guided by him. We can ask for his gifts, gifts of power and gifts which enable us to serve God better. And of course, we can bear the gifts of the Spirit too. As we become more used to having the Spirit within us, we start to show the gifts of the Spirit and we become, that's what makes us more like Jesus. And this is something that's not available to the people in the Old Testament, but we have it as a privilege and a gift. So Elizabeth's experience tells us that Jesus is about, that God is about to do something new. And the prophecy is that John will lead God's people to repentance. Ready to the, so that they are ready to be part of that renewed world and God's renewed relationship with the world. And it's the same for us. It starts with repentance. We can expect renewal at the end of our lives when God's kingdom comes in its fullness, the whole world will be renewed. 
but we can also see renewal all through our lives. And that's symbolised by that every morning we see a new day beginning every dawn, and we see new life every spring. And this is the way that nature tells us truths about God's action in the world and God's intention for our lives. So with all this newness and wonderful renewal around, where do you need God to do a new thing in your life? Is there an area of your life that maybe feels a bit jaded or a bit dead? Maybe it's work that's got a bit bogged down, getting you down, not exciting you like it was, or getting all a bit too much. Maybe it's your prayer life that feels a bit jaded, feels a bit rote. Maybe there are, there's a relationship where it's not as exciting as it once was and it could do with a bit of new life. Maybe it's suffering that's making you feel jaded or making you feel that it needs new life, new life to get rid of the suffering, some new, new shoots to come of hope. We can pray for renewal and redemption in any of these areas and maybe we need to repent about some of those things as well. Because it, as, as John says, John the Baptist, it all starts with repentance and then comes the renewal. We need to work with the Holy Spirit to bring our hearts to the right place, to experience that renewal and then to live it out in whichever area of your life you feel is the most in need. And prayer is making use of that direct relationship with God. The changes, prayer changes our attitude to the thing that we're praying about, doesn't it? It gives us a deeper understanding. It gives us a greater love. If we're praying for something, we care about it more. I remember somebody telling me there was someone in, she worked with in the office and she couldn't stand this person and every day they really got on her nerves. So she decided to start praying for that person, which you think would be the last thing you'd want to do. But she did, and uh, gradually, over a period of weeks, she started to actually really feel for that person and started to empathise with them and, and actually started to really love them and became, actually they became very close colleagues and it, was all, it all worked out amazingly. I mean, I don't think they became bosom buddies or anything like that, but she, she, her attitude towards this person totally changed because she'd started pray, praying for them. And I think when we do start praying for a situation, then we start to notice where God is working in that situation. And that can make us more inspired as we can feel the Holy Spirit working through us and working in conjunction with what God is doing in other people. And that's really inspiring when we start to see that. Because renewal means bringing our life more into line with God's will and Jesus' priorities. As Christians, we're always discovering new ideas. And we, this is one, one of the great things about coming to church and hearing different people speaking. We're always hearing new ideas. And we can learn new skills. And we can, this can stop us from becoming jaded in our Christian lives if we're open to new ideas, new interpretations of the Bible. Because wherever we've got to in our life, even if you're really old, uh, God's always got a purpose for us. And he's always 
got some change or some growth that he wants to bring about in us. He wants to do a new thing in us, however old we are, however long we've been Christians. And God can use anything to do a new thing in us. Maybe it's suffering. God can use suffering to bring us closer to him. A lot of people say, don't they, that it's in the bad times that we feel closer to God, that, we, that those bring us closer to God. And God, when we see God bring something good out of something bad, maybe we see healing coming in a special way, or we see we grow because of the suffering that we've had, then that shows, this way that good comes out of evil, shows that God has destroyed the power of evil. He hasn't taken away the evil because we still have to go through the suffering, but he's taken away the power of it. And so we're not defeated by it. And he can bring good out of it. He can bring growth and wisdom and other things from this suffering. And sometimes it makes us newly aware of God's love. The new thing that he gives us through our suffering can be a new awareness of his love and perhaps a new wisdom. Maybe it's someone's kindness to us. If somebody's kind to us, then it, that can make us newly compassionate in return and again make us newly aware of God's love for us. God can never stop doing new things for us and bringing new things out of us in our lives. Another thing he does is he shows us new things from the Bible. And David was preaching at 11 o'clock this morning and he talked about the times when we come sometimes read a passage of the Bible and something jumps out to us and it's like it's the first time we've seen that passage. We get a new idea from the Bible even though it's a passage we've read hundreds of times before. And that is God communicating directly to us through the Holy Spirit, bringing that passage alive and making that passage new to us, renewing our view of the Bible, renewing our relationship with God. And as a result, we become something new. Perhaps we become newly concerned about justice, or we, become, uh, we, we get a new understanding of an aspect of God or of Jesus. So in other words, when we focus on the Bible, we become more like Jesus, because we open ourselves up to change and renewal. And when we do that, we become agents of his new kingdom. Just like John the Baptist and Elizabeth and Mary, we become people who are bringing in the kingdom as they were, we become part of the new thing that God is doing in the world and in us. We are part of that process of redeeming the world and making it one with God. So that's what Elizabeth tells us about Jesus. God is doing something new. The Old Testament is over. No more priests and sacrifices, no more prophets, except for baby John. He'll be the last one when he calls people back to God. Instead, God is doing a new thing, making a new covenant to destroy evil and bring us back to himself and to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we and the whole earth can be made new as well.